Glory to God. Woo! Give God glory right now. Give Him glory. Woo! <laughs> Man, I'm telling you what, the Shekinah glory of God is so thick in this place, you just can't believe it. Woo! Glory to God. I want to welcome each of you here with us this morning or tonight if you're around the world with us. And for all of you on Instagram, uh, we welcome you. And on Facebook, uh, thank you for coming. I want to tell you something this morning. God wins. He wins. <laughs> he wins. You know, we are so blessed as a church to have hundreds every week. But this last Sunday, we had, and throughout the week, we ended up having thousands. When you consider not only the views, but three or four persons per view, I mean, it's amazing. What a tremendous thing God is doing. And I want to tell you, I want to just uh, echo and uh, second what Pastor Luke said, I do miss you. I got to tell you, I do. Uh, I find uh, what the Apostle Paul said, I have a deep yearning in my soul to just be with you and to talk to you, and to love you, and to hug you. Uh, you know, this thing, uh, this uh, virus, of course, our hearts are hurt, and we see so many people sick, but uh, the resulting quarantine, and it's, uh, this thing's messing with me. <laughs> personal. I'm getting, this is personal. You know, when you mess with my family, you know, we can't even see our family like we'd like. When you mess with the church of God, it, this is personal. In fact, he was even messing with my uh, with my diet, uh, some of the things I love to eat, I don't get to eat because you can't find them in the store. So I got to tell you, this has been uh, quite a time. But I'll tell you one thing, the, the funny thing about this strange thing is that we seem to be just hitting the, the, the wall right now. I mean, it just seems like it's the, the worst ever. But the funny thing for me is the more that we do, the, the more excited I'm getting. I don't know what it is, just like this down deep. I get so excited. I can't wait to see what the Lord does this next day. And uh, Thank you for all your emails. Thank you for your texting. Thank you for your phone calls. Uh, thank you. It's been such a blessing for you to give us some feedback and uh, get back with us. That makes, uh, it makes our job a lot easier to know that you're being blessed. And thank you for sending in your tithes and offerings. Oh, good night. Uh, I was kind of wondering if I was going to be standing out there on the corner with one of those little signs, you know, and uh, we're gonna, like the fireman used to do, you know, fill the, fill the boot. We're going to have a fill the bucket down here on West Lane and 8 Mile Road. But uh, no, actually the truth is God's been supplying and thank you for being his uh, vehicle to do that. All right. Well, uh, I want you to, we're going we're gonna to talk about fear today. We're going to uh, echo what Jesus said, fear not. So let's take our Bibles to the book of Luke. Uh, chapter 12, and I want you to turn to the person next to you, or the person behind you, or the person uh, wherever. Look at them and say, fear not. Fear not. Tell them that right now. Okay, I'm going to stop. Tell them. All right, good. Now, 12 different times in the New Testament, our Lord and Savior recorded, don't be fearful. And in Luke chapter 12, which is our passage, and I just have had so much uh, joy in my spirit taking our time, just walking through this passage very slowly. Uh, sometimes we go fast, kind of an overview, sometimes uh, even faster than that, just kind of a jet view. But this is sort of a, we're just walking along and smelling all the roses as we go along. But in Luke chapter 12, 12 different, three different times, with three different negatives, no, don't. He said, don't fear. Verse number 22, he says, take no thought for your life. Verse 29, neither or neither be of a doubtful mind. And then the crescendo verse, which is our theme verse, verse 32, fear not. In case you didn't get the rest of those things, fear not. Come on now, get this into your mind. In fact, uh, all of those sentences can be translated by one thought. Stop it. Right now, stop it. Come on. Stop this fearful mind, this fearful heart. Stop it. Stop worrying. And you know the good news about the gospel, the good news about Scripture? The good thing about being a Christian, we can stop it. 
We don't have to just manage it. We don't have to just uh, make it, you know, something that we can deal with. No, we can stop it. Now, Luke chapter 12 is actually a very long discourse by Jesus Christ. It, uh, at first uh, observation, we would think, oh, it's the Sermon on the Mount, but it's actually not. This one takes place in Judea, that one in Galilee, that one towards the beginning of his ministry, this one at the end of his ministry. Jesus often repeated himself. And so for those of you who think I might be getting a little old and repeating myself, I'm just being like Jesus. That's all. But these are fearful days, friends, and we need to be energy givers. We need to just break that spirit force and rebuke that spirit of fear that's out there. I mean, it's just everywhere. And some of the things that we're hearing, I'm sure, are probably good precautions. But folks, we have got to break that spirit of fear. Fear not. And that's the word God gives us today. Let's be energy givers to our community, to our family. Let's fear not. All right, let's join together in prayer. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I'm watching. All right. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us a word to remind us never to fear. And I pray that God, you give us an anointing here in this place right now. And for everybody, wherever they are right now, whether they're in their home, whether they're sitting beside the roadside at a car watching on their iPhone, wherever they are, Lord, who knows? That's the wonderful thing of the miracle of the internet. Lord, you have been using it, transforming it for your gospel. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, all fear occurs for one of two reasons. We are either ignorant of the truth or we're not ignorant and we simply don't believe God's Word. We could say it this way, we were either unaware of the truth or we're unwilling to obey it. A lack of knowledge or a lack of faith. For some, it's an information issue. I really think they would do better if they knew better. For others, it's not a lack of info, it's a lack of get-go. <laughs> they just don't have that inner get-go to make sure that it's done. Tragically, many Christian people even don't really know the nature of God, don't know what He's really like. And by the way, that's why I'm so encouraged today that you're joining with us because, you know, you're, you're here with us because you believe God. We, all of us, uh, certainly don't do what we ought to do in this matter. We get so fearful. But the fact is, the fact that you've taken time to log on, thank you. And because you have, I just want to know that you're here today with us believing that God can conquer this fear. Now, let's get down to the brass tacks of what we're talking about. The folks, the fact is a lack of faith in God. Fear is not just a character issue. It is a sin issue. It really is. When you realize the fact that when I am unjustly fearful, now I'm not talking about being fearful of a rattlesnake. That's a justly fearful. We're talking about fear of the unknown, or fear of lack of provision, or whatever the case. Folks, we don't need to have that fear. And based on God's Word, we're not understanding the nature of God. And so let's reflect for a minute where we've been. Last week, we talked about that number one, six, we're talking about six certainties of God's uh, uh, character. Number one, fear is not grasping God's precedence. That is, uh, the thing that's the highest priority of God is not for us just to survive. Life is more than meat. The body is more than raiment, Scripture says. This body is not provided so that we can just uh, eat, sleep, get up, wear something, repeat, <laughs> rinse, wash, rinse, repeat. No, that's not God's plan. God's plan is for us to do for His glory and to reflect Him. He's the light. We're His reflecting. Uh, several years back when I first started driving my Volkswagen, I, uh, I have an old Volkswagen bug. For those of you who don't know what they look like, of course everybody knows what they look like, but if you may not know what mine looks like, it's an old bug, 1958. And it has a very flat window in the front. And if you're going down the road at a certain time of the day, if that sign is just in the right place, it hits that front window and it's like a mirror. I mean, I've been driving down the road and I'll see people like going like that and I think, what in the world are they doing? Well, I didn't realize that my front window acts like a big old giant mirror. 
Now, what am I doing? I am reflecting the sun. And that's what God wants us to do. He said, your goal in life is to be a reflection of me so that others know me and see me. And so it's a priority issue. Number two, fear is not grasping God's presence. At the end of the day, do we realize God is always there? <laughs> He's not there some of the time. He is always there. That's what it says, consider the ravens. <laughs> if God takes care of an old, ugly, uh, meat-eating raven, He can surely take care of you and your family. God is a very present help. He is always there. Now today, the federal government says they're here for us, and I appreciate all they're doing. Our state says they're here for us, and our counties and others say they're here for us. My bank says they're, they're there for me, <laughs> and I've noticed if I ever miss a payment, they're there for me. <laughs> but the fact is, God is there for us. He is always there for us, and so that's what we're talking about today. All right, let's go to number three now, and we're going to do number three and four of these certainties today, and then next week we'll finish this passage off. Number three, fear is not grasping God's prerogative. It is a misunderstanding of who is in charge, that somehow we control the length and the circumstances and the consequences of our life. Look at verse 25. All right, read it out loud with me, would you? All right, come on now. Everybody, read it together. All right, you got it? All right, let's read it together. We're reading out of the authorized version known as the King James Version, verse number 25. And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then being able to do that which is least, not able to do that which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? And so here God uses a very common example, an everyday example. Many people want to be taller. Ladies want to be taller. They have a certain height. They say that's that model height. And the fact is, whatever height God's made is this beautiful height. But uh, men want to be taller. I know I've, I've always been a lover of playing sports, and I can't figure out a sport that's not made better by being tall. I mean, it just seems like being tall is such an advantage in so many things. And so he talks about adding a cubit. That's an ancient measurement. We don't use that today. It is thought that it's about... Uh, uh, 18 inches or from the elbow to the tip of the fingers. Now, we got to understand that this is not a literal statement that Jesus is saying. He's not saying, I know all of you want to be 18 inches taller. Now, if I was 18 inches taller, I would be a center in basketball. That would be great. I mean, in one sense, but in another sense, that might be just a little much. I don't think the idea is that he, all of us wish to be 18 inches taller. And so don't uh, get all wrapped up in that. What he's saying is that whatever unit you use, whether you want to be an inch bigger or you want to be five inches bigger, or whether you have another unit, let's not, we're talking about linear measurement, let's talk about time. If you want to have one more second on your life or one more minute or one more year or 10 more years, sorry, it's not going to happen. That's not your prerogative. That's God's prerogative. We don't get to make that decision. The logical conclusion is this, and by the way, the Bible is the most logical book that's ever been given to mankind. I mean, it is pure logic. Thank God for His Word. So the logical conclusion is this, if I can't add an inch to me or a six inches, if I can't add a second to my life or a month or a year or 10 years, if I can't add any of that, if I can't affect something that's in God's prerogative, then, really, I need to kind of rethink what I'm doing. Now, folks, today in this world that we live in, even before this pandemic, our pe people in this world were obsessed with health. I mean, literally, they have made a God out of health. We have health clubs. There are health, there's health food, there's health drinks that we have. And so, but the folks... Um, the matter of our health is, and the length of our life, our overall health. That's God. Now, we're not talking about being healthy. That's a different matter between health. Making health a, a God is different than being a healthy person. For example, in First Chronicles or Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-five, Paul said, "Every man 
that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Here he is, he's using this example of being an athlete. And whether they're wrestling back in those Olympian games or boxing or running or whatever they're doing, he said, look, you can't be just uh, burning the candle at both ends. You can't be just eating everything you want and think you're going to be able to be a master wrestler. It doesn't work that way. You've got you've to do something for this body. You've got to keep it in subjection. Why? What's the point? So what's the point of being healthy? Is it so I can have a healthy body and look so good? No. The reason for health, he has already given in verse 23 of that same chapter. This I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of them with you. I do this for the gospel's sake. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. We're doing it for the gospel's sake. A healthy body can preach better. A healthy body can sing better. A healthy body can act better. And I can't wait for that drama. I can't wait for all the things we do here at church. When we're healthy, we can do more. We can uh, sing better and we can serve better. We can clean better. We can cook better. The fact is my body is a vehicle for God to use. But Paul said, if I need to, I'm willing to sacrifice this body for the gospel. For the gospel, this body is given. And so it's not an end in itself. It's a vehicle. That's the difference between the God of health and being a healthy person. But God says, even no matter what we do with our life, the fact is we really can't add one cubit to our life, not even one thing. In fact, if we keep worrying about it, we're going to, if anything, we're going to contribute to our disability. The Bible fact is that the span of our life is God's prerogative. God knows where we're going to be born. He knows our parents. He knows all about us, all of our DNA, all of it's written by God. He knows the time of our birth, and He knows the exact moment of our death. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, the great apostle Paul. One of the great studies in Scripture is how many times God told a man or a woman of God that their time was coming. God told Moses. God told David. God told Peter. God told John. God here tells Paul, I am now ready to be offered. Isn't that a wonderful description of this moving to heaven? It's an offering. I'm just, I'm, I'm ready to be offered. And the time, the exact time of my departure. And isn't that just such a lovely way of describing death? It's a departure. It's like, it's like going to the airport when those used to be around, you know, when we used to go to those places. The time of my departure is 10.52 in the morning, or the time of my departure. The fact is, if we live obediently to His Word, our lives will be sustained to their appointed time. That's why God said, let's back to Luke chapter 12. That's why in verse 26 He says, if ye then be not able to do that thing which is yeast, least yeast, then why take ye thought for the rest? God says, you're just simply not able to do something. People say, drink this and you'll, you'll live longer. It's not going to happen. Eat this, you'll live longer. Mm-mm. Well, do this and you'll live. Mm-mm. You are not able. <laughs> Nobody's able. That is not the prerogative of humans. They don't, that's not what we get to do. We can't make ourselves taller. We can't make ourselves live longer. Now, we can live a healthy lifestyle, and God can bless that, and God can honor that. But the fact is, God, in His great scheme of things, God has that all down. And so, therefore, if that's all the case, then why, if, if there's this great providential sovereignty of God, then why worry? That's the point. God said, why worry about this? God will take care of you. That's His prerogative. He knows exactly when we're going to be born, where we're going to be born, and He knows the time of our departure. This, uh, the stories coming out of this uh, pandemic are just tragic, of course, and our hearts are burdened and hurt, and as we read about the uh, people who die and we read about their lives. It's just a precious thing, really, in many respects. I read this week about a wonderful Jewish nurse from the West Zion Hospital there in 
outside of New York and predominantly Jewish uh, um, clientele there. But uh, he, uh, he died, died of coronavirus. And, but um, before he died, and um, well before he had died, and while he was taking care of everybody, he said an amazing statement. In fact, when I read it, I just like, that absolutely is brilliant. I mean, it's just a brilliant statement that puts into perspective health professionals, everybody who's working so hard, and for us as believers. It, here's this young Jewish nurse, a few days before he dies, gave this amazing statement. Listen closely. And in the article, he was talking about all the work they had done. And of course, New York has been hit so hard with this. But here's his quote. Listen closely. Unfortunately, in many cases, my team and I cannot change the outcome. Are you listening? We cannot change the outcome. But especially in these challenging moments, we can alter the experience. He got it. (laughs) Mankind never changes the outcome but we can change the experience. My beloved friend, my uh, worker friend who's out there on the front lines, and we have so many health professionals, God bless you. But know this, you're not responsible for that person's death. You and I can't change the outcome, but we can alter the experience. And that's what we're doing here today. We are altering the journey, not the destination, not the time of the destination. We are altering the journey. Friends, I don't want to go to heaven fearful and just all crying and all. Come on, let's go. Hands, heads held high and hands raised to God. God, I trust you. You are the one who controls my outcome. It's his prerogative. Fear is not grasping God's precedence. He's the one who uh, wants us to be more than just food and fashion. Number two, it's not grasping God's presence. God is always there. There's a God factor in the matter what happens. Even though it seems like God's not there, He's there. And number three, fear is not grasping God's prerogative, that somehow we are in control of the the length of our life or the breadth of our life. It doesn't work that way. That's God's prerogative. And number four this morning, fear is not grasping God's preoccupation, or we might say it, His main concern. As human beings, what is the preoccupation of God? It's us. (laughs) As much as He loves His creation, His goal in life is not to just make prettier flowers and more beautiful scenery. God's preoccupation is us. Look at verse 27. Let's read it together, okay? Come on now. All right, got it? Let's read it. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Consider. The uh, great uh, reformer Martin Luther called this the lesson of the flowers. Thank you, flowers. God has exalted you that you've become our teachers. You can learn a lot from a flower, Martin Luther said, if you just stop and look at that thing. But notice what it says. God said, I want you to stop for a minute. Don't just race through life. Don't just run through life. Stop. And I want you to look at a flower. Have you ever looked at a flower? Now you did when you were a child. The other day, one of our grandsons was out there and he was so busy. He was squatted on the ground, and uh, he was just, I, thought, I said, what? I couldn't see what he was looking at. I said, what are you looking at? And uh, he said, there's a bug, and he was working. <laughs> I mean, you remember when you used to look at bugs? And I know some of you probably still do, but, um, but remember when you used to look at those? Stop, consider, and look at the flowers, or like the old saying is, stop and smell the roses, or in this case, listen to the roses. Now, in these verses, God is going to move from food to fashion. He's going to say, all right, now let's stop. Let's talk about clothing. <laughs> Isn't God good? He's like, you know what? Because 
all of us, no matter how rich a person gets, they're still into their clothing, still into the food thing, you know, what they eat, what they wear. We have to also under, uh, understand that clothing really could include housing. Because you may recall that uh, the Old Testament, they would wear a cloak, and it could actually be a tent. In fact, in the Old Testament Scripture, God said you can't take a person's cloak, you know, because uh, that's their their covering, their housing. And so I think we could really add housing into this. And really, that's some of those walls that are around us, food, clothing, housing, you know, those are some of the basic walls of our environment, you know, transportation, things like that. Those are the things that we all just basically need in life. No matter who we are, rich, poor, whatever, those are our basics. And so he gets down to the basics here. We're not talking about some pie-in-the-sky theology. We're talking about this is where we live, brothers and sisters. And of late, this has been something that's been a people's concern. I mean, people waiting in line to get, you know, some eggs or some meat or some toilet paper, whatever. And so God says, all right, look at the lilies. And he references Solomon. And I had to laugh when I read uh, one commentator, and I thought, you know what, that is so true. <laughs> uh, he said, here, Jesus uh, refers back to his omniscience. <laughs> Remember now, Jesus is God in the flesh. And so he was alive back in Solomon's day. And so here, here he gives a little uh, peek into his deity. He said, look, guys, you should have seen Solomon because I did. I was there. I saw him. Solomon was unbelievably dressed. Nobody had the fancy dress of King Solomon. In fact, uh, Queen Sheba uh, referenced that very thing in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 7. He said, how be it I believe not the words. Read it. 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 7. And by the way, the queen, queen of Sheba, she was absolutely known worldwide. She was uh, quite a lady. She was rich and powerful. But when she came to Solomon, she said, how be it, I believe not the words until I came and my eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me, because thy wisdom, and look at that, thy prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. The point being, Solomon was absolutely dressed to the T. He was absolute best. And I, I never would have thought of it, but I have suits that are kind of a mediocre suit, and they're nice to wear. I'm grateful for them. But boy, I'll tell you one thing, you put on a suit. I have one suit that uh, it's a high-count uh, wool suit. It's a Brooks Brothers suit, and I mean, the minute you put it on, I mean, it just feels good. It breathes. It hangs well. There's no wrinkles. I mean, I just love that suit. It's like there's something with this uh, uh, wool here, and that, that's, not, uh, that's not a you know, $10,000 suit, but I'll tell you what, it, you can tell the difference. Now, Solomon wore stuff like that only a hundred times that, a thousand times that. We're talking the absolute best. His clothing, he had like hundreds of shoes. My wife, and one time I was in the, our little dressing closet, I said, honey, how many shoes do you have? She said, I don't have that many. I said, honey, you've got dozens. And she said, I don't think I have that many. I said, oh, let's just count them. And so we started counting them. I don't know. She had 40-something pairs of shoes. And so we began to laugh. And, I, and uh, she said, well, it doesn't seem like I have them, you know. And uh, I have two pairs. I have, well, I have a black pair and a brown pair. And uh, that's what I do. But the uh, fact is, uh, she looks so nice always. I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I mean, Solomon, he, he really, he, he looked good. But notice what God said. He said that in his robes, he was beautiful, uh, like a lily. Now, most of us think of a lily, and we think of this white little Easter lily, you know, we think an Easter lily is beautiful. Well, I guess it's kind of pretty. I mean, it has a purity, you know, but no. Uh, we're not probably talking about a white lily here because uh, Solomon's robes weren't white, and so we're not probably talking about a white lily. And in Song of Solomon, if you want a little extra reference, Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 13, uh, the beautiful the Holy Spirit gave us this little description of uh, Solomon himself, and it says his lips were like lilies. So they're not white, they're just smooth like lilies, and they may even be the color of reddish. If that being the case, in fact, most believe that Jesus wasn't referring to some white lily that we see, but more like the poppy. And the poppies were all over the Middle East, and they have a reddish type of poppy. And so, uh, so imagine the scene. Here we are. We're 
We're outside with Jesus. He's standing there. People are, there's hundreds, maybe several thousand people. He is teaching. And he said, look at those poppies over there. We might imply that this is springtime. That's when the poppies come out. He said, look at those beautiful lilies, flowers, poppies. Look at those red, beautiful poppies. He said, they never work at spinning. They never do what they can do to put their clothing on, and yet look at how beautiful they are. They don't do any work to look good. Now, I must admit, to look good, you've got you've to work at it. I mean, folks, you don't get a physique like this without working on it. I mean, you've got to work at it. And uh, someone say, yeah, I know what you're working at. You're working at that fork food right there. But uh, the fact is, if you want to look good, you have got to work at it. Jesus said, they don't work at it. He's not saying they're lazy. I mean, work is good. He's just saying that God provides for them. Flowers are amazing. Have you ever actually just stopped and looked at some of those things? They're amazing. Uh, one of our dear uh, families. Uh, the Sakula's uh, sister Pat. She she'll bring in uh, beautiful orchids and put them in the office. I see them in my office there, and man, they're just amazing. How in the world God does that? Uh, years ago, when I went down to Bible College uh, in Southern California, I'd never seen these flowers before. But all over that campus, they had birds of paradise. Have you ever seen a bird of paradise flower? I just, they're the strangest looking flowers. They almost they almost look like a bird, like a head of a bird. And I remember going into the uh, cafeteria there and seeing those bir- those flowers with the little things on top and little beaky looking things and what in the I'd never seen a flower that looked like that just amazing but as amazing as they are when you just look at them if you would take a flower and take one petal put it under a microscope and see the the uh, the nature the creation of God the weaving, the putting together of all the things there, you're just like unbelievably orderly and beautiful. And then take the most expensive garment that's ever been. I mean, you know, thousands of dollars per little inch or something. Take the most expensive garment, put it under a microscope, it'll look like junk. But take one little poppy flower, it'll be beautiful. The point being here is that God said, He takes care of a flower. He will take care of you. God is in not only taking care of our necessities, but if I'm reading this right, God said He takes care of our luxuries. Solomon in all of his glory, all of, God will give you clothing that'll look so wonderful, that'll be so amazing for you. Just know that God will look out for you, not only your needs, but for your luxuries. And I, I must admit, sometimes I look at flowers and I look at all the different kinds. I think, what's the purpose of these? I mean, what's the point of all these flowers? It's just God's extravagance. That's all. God is saying, I take care of my own. Now look at verse 28. And I love this verse. This verse is so powerful. Look at the first part. If then, say that word with that little phrase. If then, say it again. If then, if then, this is one of those if thens, God so clothed the grass, which he's referring to the lilies there, and could be uh, the poppies, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven. How much more, say the words much more, much more much more. So notice the beginning of the verse, we have if then, now we have much more, will he clothe you, O ye of little faith. If then. If then. Now there are many if thens in Scripture. Did you know that? These are powerful. If thens are very powerful. They're very, they're points of logic. They're for those pragmatic persons. Maybe you're one of those practical people that says, you know what, Show me the bottom line. Okay, here you go. If then. If then. You know, you're not uh, into all the, uh, you know, all the pictures and everything. You're an if then person, okay? Uh, That's kind of what I am. I'm an if thener. For example, if you were to go to a computer training, they would would teach you in programming. They have what they call if thens. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. And 
Those are called if-thens, and they build their programs based on if-then statements. The same is true in management training. There's many things that are based on if-thens. If this happens, do this. In the medical world, if this happens, then do this. If this happens, then do this. So here's what Jesus is saying. If then. There are many in Scripture. For example, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. If then. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, Matthew 17, 20, then you can say to this mountain. And so God is saying here, now listen, if then. Let's get our heads wrapped around this. Let's be logical. Jesus is saying, brothers and sisters, let's be logical. Think logic. Think spiritual. If God takes care of a flower, if He clothes a flower, then logically He's going to take care of you. Think that. Does He take care of flowers? Yes or no? Yes, he always takes care of flowers. Has he ever not clothed the flower? No. Well, then he will take care of you. If then. And he points out, he said, now flowers are just very temporary. Now, I, I know you think flowers are people too, but they're just temporary. Notice what he says. They're cast into the oven. You say, what does that mean? Well, back then they would bake things with a big clay oven. And in order to keep it hot, they would uh, uh, put wood in there. But to get it up to a desired temperature, they'd throw highly flammable stuff like dry grass or flowers. And, you know, they didn't have a little dial. They just had to throw stuff in or they'd let it kind of die down. Basically, God said, flowers are just, uh, they're just uh, flammable. We use them for fuel. They really don't uh, mean anything to me. In the sense of, you know, I mean, they may give glory for a few moments, but the fact is, uh, I still take care of flowers. How much more? How much more then will I take care of you? If you want a, a wonderful study, if you want something just a blast to do, study all the if thens in Scripture and study all the much mores. You'll have so much fun for months. If thens and much mores. How much more? <laughs> How much more will he clothe you? You, you, you human, you the create the crown of my creation. He will take care of you. Now, folks, we live in a society where nearly everyone has swallowed the lie of evolution. And by its own admission, evolution is a theory. And just as a side note here, you know, uh, you pick up a public school textbook or you pick up a college textbook or some scientist textbook, if they're honest, and they seem to still, for the most part, at least in written form, will call evolution a theory. And so let's just take the word theory and just take a thesaurus, look at it. It means it's a hypothesis, it's conjecture, speculation, assumption, opinion. And so what I would say to someone who, uh, who has been misled by the lie of evolution, it's a theory, right? We'll agree with this, that's a theory. Let's just agree that it's a theory. It's not a fact. It's just a theory. It's a hypothesis because nobody was there at the beginning. You're just measuring things, but it's a theory, correct? Well, then I've got another theory. I've got a theory that God creates things, and this world is based on order. And so it's your theory and my theory. The fact is, my theory just happens to be fact. So the point being here in this, what I'm trying to get at is that this misinformed logic that humans are just animals, and we're really no better than them, fundamentally similar. Ingrid Newkirk, founder of, uh, one of the founders of PETA, said this, and listen to this closely, because I think this actually shows what we're fighting against, and I think our own mind sometimes thinks this. Here's what she's saying about humans. God's saying, they are the crown of my creation. Here's what science says, or here's what animal liberationists say. 
quote, animal liberationists do not separate out the human animal. Ingrid Newkirk is speaking, founder of PETA. So there is no rational basis for saying that a human being has any special rights. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. They're all mammals. And so the left-wing media, the left-wing scientists, the liberal mindset, the evolutionist will say that the human being is really no different than a, than a, a raven or a flower. We're just all living beings. But God says, oh no, not so at all. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, the crown of my creation is mankind. Genesis 1 and verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he them. Both male and female were created in the image of God. There is nothing in this world that's living other than mankind that has been created with a living soul, an immortal spirit. Animals are nice, but they do not have a soul. You would almost think so. They're precious little friends a lot of times and sometimes obnoxious things, but they're wonderful. I mean, I, I like animals. I love those little dogs and cats and whatever else, but the fact is they do not have a soul. That tree out there is nice, but it doesn't have a soul. But when you look at a human being, you are looking at an immortal. C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. I want you to look around your room this morning or look at somebody next to you. Look at that. Take a good look at them for a moment. Look at them. Did you know that that is not a body with a soul? That's not a person with a soul. That's a soul with a body. That is a living, immortal soul. That person is never going to go out of existence, ever. They will live eternally. When God told us this, the psalmist in Psalm 8 says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or I might put in parentheses there, so mindful of him. Or why, does, why is God so preoccupied with humans? Verse 5, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. As humans, we are sinful. Yes. We're helpless. Yes. Unworthy? Absolutely. But valueless? Never. The human race is loved by God. God made us so special. The logic then is, so then, if He cares for an animal that has no soul, if then He cares for a puppy on a hillside that and dresses it splendidly, then won't He take care of you, the crown of His creation? God loves every human. The late gospel singer Ethel Waters, what an amazing story. She was born about 1900. She was one of the first African-American black ladies to ever get a Hollywood contract. She was an amazing singer, sang mostly uh, blues and jazz and also sang gospel. She knew the Lord from early on, but she was used and abused by this old world. In her mid-50s, she dragged herself into a Billy Graham crusade, and there she gave her life afresh and anew to Jesus Christ. And she began to be a regular, singing that old wonderful gospel song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. <laughs> She famously said these words. You've seen them on posters, and I love it. She said, I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. <laughs> but God don't make no junk. I love it. Folks, God don't make no junk. And you're not junk either. You are loved by God. You are cared for by God. You are the one who God loves. He died for you. He didn't die for an animal. He died for you. He didn't die for a lily on the field, He died for you. Jesus died for us. Yes, there's a breathtaking view. Go up here to Yosemite Valley. It's amazing, but not nearly as amazing at the human soul. Yes, drive with me, if we could, over to the beautiful bay and go there to the rocky butte of 
of Asilomar and watch the glorious waves crashing on the shore. Is it beautiful? Oh, you bet it is. But not even a fraction as beautiful as a human soul. God loves each of us much more, much more, much more. If then, if then, if I'll take care of them, I'll take care of you. Much more, much more. Folks, that is a, that is a tremendous thought this morning. Tell me one time God's ever failed you. Tell me one time God's ever walked away from you. Tell me one time God has ever in your life ever said, sorry, not there for you. Go on. I don't, I don't have time for you. Not one time. If then, if he will take care of a raven, he'll take care of you. If God will clothe a lily on the field, he'll clothe you. He'll clothe your family. He'll give you a job. That's what God does. That's his very name. That's who he is. Much more. Now we come to the very heart of the matter. Look at verse 28. And this is where it all comes to. It's like Jesus. Now, it, if, we, if we were there, we'd be going, because huh. this is Jesus. He's going, oh, ye of little faith. Now, he used that phrase often. And just so in case you're wondering, it's not a compliment. <laughs> now, we, he was talking to his, the best I mean, you're talking the top tier. We're talking, these are 10s. On a scale of 1 to 10, these are 11s, his disciples. He's out on the boat with them. Jesus with them on a boat. God sitting next to them. And they say, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. Jesus looks at him, oh, ye of little faith. Oh, guess what? Oops, I didn't see that wave coming. (laughs) The God who made the waves can calm the waves. The God who has made this world can make sure that this world feeds your family. I know these are tough times, crazy times, ridiculous times, really, in many respects. But the fact is... It was, did not catch our God by surprise. He's not caught off guard. Our God is with you and he's with me. And so he follows it up with the most logic of all logic, verse 29. Therefore, quit being so obsessed with your food. Quit being so obsessed with your fashion. Verse 29, seek not. You know, he's not saying don't be diligent. Not saying don't work. Not saying don't, you know, do what you're supposed to do. He's just saying, don't be obsessed with it. Don't make it the thing you live for. Seek not what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Neither be of a doubtful mind. Come on, guys. Don't be so obsessed with your food and your fashion. That's actually a beautiful transition here. We're going to look at it next week. Because here he says don't, and then the next verse he's going to say do. Don't be so obsessed with your food and your fashion. Do be obsessed with your faith next week. Do be obsessed with Scripture. Do be obsessed with your spiritual life. Quote the Scripture and sing the Scripture and pray the Scripture and be obsessed with the Word of God. But don't be obsessed with the things of this world. And then he finally finishes it off with, don't have a doubtful mind. The Greek word there is a combination of two words to divide the mind. It's exactly what James said in chapter 1 and verse 8, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He is unstable in all his ways. This week, my wife and I uh, were traveling to go out and have a little time of exercise, a little hiking around and we drove by a little field there and had uh, two horses. And I looked over this, I said, man, look at those two horses. Now, I, I th- kind of think maybe they were a male and a female horse. Maybe they were married, I'm not sure. But they were standing opposite. In other words, the one head was at the back of the other, and the other head was at the back of the other. So when you looked at them, it almost looked like Dr. Doolittle's Push Me Pull You. You remember that? That llama with, had a head on both sides, you know? Well, and I, we laughed at that. And uh, folks, that's a two-headed horse. That's a two-headed llama. Push me, pull you. 
God said, don't be a push-me-pull-you. Don't be a two-headed person. One way I'm going for the world, one way I'm going for God. One way I'm serving God, one way I'm not. Come on. Live as though there's a God out there and He understands who you are. Why? Because God is preoccupied with you. That's part of His nature. He loves the human race because He created us with a spirit. We are the crown of His creation. I'm going to close with this story here this morning, and I thank you for your attentiveness. You've been so good, and I, I'm, uh, I'm glad to see all of you have tuned in. It's an old story I've told many times. In early America, the Indians uh, had a very unique practice of training their young braves. They would take a young man on the birthday of his 13th year, and after learning hunting and scouting and fishing skills, he would be put to one final test. Until then, there had never been the scrutiny of family uh, and tribe. He'd never been away from them. He'd always been under their tutelage. But on this night, he would be blindfolded and taken away several miles all by himself. And when they took off the blindfold, there he was in the thick of the woods, terrified, all by himself in the middle of the night. Can you imagine being all alone in the middle of a forest? Every time a twig snapped, he visualized an animal to be ready to pounce. And after what seemed like an eternity, the dawn would break and the sunlight would come, and the interior of that forest would light up. And then looking around, the young man would see not only the flowers and the trees and the outline of a path, But then there, to his utter astonishment, he would behold the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, a strong brave, bow, arrows, it was his father. And all night long, his father had been there. And so this morning, friend, God is there for you. He is a shield about you. He is there for each one of us. We may feel like we're out here in a forest. We're all alone. We don't know what's happening. God's just growing us up. God's just making us realize, hey, if then, just know this. I've raised you from the time of a child. And I know it's a forest right now. And I know you can't make your way through. But you need to know this. I've never left you. I've been there all along watching. My friend, God is watching you right now. He's there. And in this time of America, this time of a world pandemic, I promise you God is there. Never fear. Do not fear. Our worship team is going to sing this beautiful little chorus.